What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Gifford, and today we're actually going to go through the questions that you guys have been sending in. First of all, I want to thank you. I know that sometimes when you write a question, it's maybe a month or two even before I have the chance to get it, record, and respond to it, but thank you for engaging. I'm hoping these episodes are a way of serving you. Big picture today, we're going to talk about anger, anger that's been around for a while. We're going to talk about emotional triggers idol hunting and bitterness. Those will be the big ones. And I have a couple of others that I hope to get to as well. So let me jump right in. Heather has asked a question regarding emotional triggers. She said, why do emotional triggers still have such a profound effect on me when they occur, even though the frequency has reduced dramatically in the past two years? And in the broader context, Heather was just talking about how There are things that when they take place, it just, it seems to like automatically set her off. And I want to be candid whatever we call that, if we call it an emotional trigger, if we call it a habituated response, if we call it a sore spot that we all face, I, I find it helpful to think that many of us actually struggle with being treated in a certain way. And when you treat us in that particular way, it's, it's actually a little raw for us to be treated in that way. Some of this is maybe our own disposition, and some of it maybe is our own background. Uh, But for instance, my, if you want to call it a trigger, an easy way to encourage me to be upset is whenever I'm talking to someone who communicates that they're better than me or smarter or whatever that looks like. And it's just always been that way. As long as I can remember, I struggled with folks that communicated kind of this haughtiness. So I think I understand a little bit. There are circumstances, there are people, there are words, there are actions that are just a little more sensitive in our life. And if that's what we're calling an emotional trigger, then we have to start to identify, well, what is it that I struggle with? I find that step one, when you identify what those things are that encourage you to respond in an emotional way, whether it's anger or fear or irritability, whatever that response is, identify what it is so you know what that temptation is. Second, go to the Word of God and seek to answer, how would God want me to respond to this circumstance? Clearly say, look, when, when this happens, how should I respond according to God's Word? If, if that's a question that's really hard to answer, get some help. Reach out to a biblical counselor. Do some hard work in Bible study. Talk to your pastor and figure out how would God want me to respond and then develop a plan for your response. You see, in, in instances like where someone is being very rude to me or super condescending, I want to have a plan so that I am not quote unquote triggered by that and respond in a way that's sinful. So I would encourage you to have three steps. First of all, to pray. Second, to meditate on the scripture that you have found that applies to this. And third, speak in a loving way, respond in a loving way. Lord, we're going to pray something like this. Lord, thank you for an opportunity for me to trust you today. 
Thank you for an opportunity for me to grow to be like your son, Jesus. We're going to renew our mind with the truth of scripture that's applicable to this moment. And then we're going to respond in a loving way. Most of the time it's speaking in a loving way. If you don't know what's triggering you, you'll find yourself in a tailspin of sorts. And if you don't know how you should respond, it's really difficult because now you're unaware of what's happened in the trigger. You're unaware of how you should respond. So what I would say, Heather, is develop a plan. Identify what the types of triggers are. Ask how God in his word would want you to respond. Then develop a plan and rehearse that plan. So much so that when that next trigger occurs, if it occurs, you're ready. You're ready with what God would want you to do. And then you're able to respond in a way that God would want you to respond. Ken wrote in and asked, how can I be free of the bitterness and pain from the past, knowing that most likely these individuals may never come to me and ask forgiveness? Uh, Ken, that's, as, as I read the broader email, that's such a painful question, and I'm sorry to hear of the hurt that you've experienced. I think that you're being totally fair to say, you know what, there are certain people that just don't care, and they may never double back and say, hey, Ken, will you forgive me for what I did to you? I hope that we would never be that person that we've committed sins against others and become hardened and unwilling to address how we've hurt people. You know, we were talking about this at uh, the home Bible study that I helped lead just last night. And one of the things that we brought up is that even bitterness seems to hurt us more than it hurts anybody else. And it, it's infectious. It's like a gangrene. And it's described as a root in Hebrews. And if that root of bitterness finds a fertile soil in your heart, so much is contaminated. Your spiritual life is even jeopardized based off of harboring bitterness. So you have to uproot bitterness. And how do you do that with people that don't want your forgiveness or maybe have rejected it? I think there is, first of all, a place for understanding how God's wrath and his vengeance works. In Romans 12, why do you do good to people who do evil to you? Well, it's not because they're awesome and you love them and have warm and fuzzy feelings for them. <laughs> and I would love that that were true. But honestly, you may never have a warm emotion for your enemy. In Romans 12, specifically verse 19, you're to trust what Moses sang about in Exodus 15, which is that God is the one who takes vengeance. God is the avenger. He is the settler of accounts. Can how do you respond to people who have legitimately sinned against you and don't double back and seek your forgiveness for what they've done or ask for it? How do you do that? I would say, first of all, you start by understanding that God is the one who is the judge of all the earth and he will do what is right. He will. He will settle accounts and he'll do it in a way that's actually better than what you can do. So your bitterness that's tempting you to be hardened and to dry up your strength that bitterness is let go in understanding the character of God. John Piper once said, you, you trust that the sins committed against you were taken care of at the cross if this person was a Christian, or they will be taken care of in an eternal judgment and a literal hell. But ultimately, God is the one who's going to take care of it. So I don't have to be an avenger. I trust the Lord to be the avenger. The third thing that I would recommend is meditate on God's mercy. You're like, wait, what? Hang on, what? Yeah, meditate on his mercy. I want to share a, a scripture with you. So I've already said Romans 12, 19, but listen to the words of Luke. And this is chapter six. How does God treat his enemies? Well, God is gracious to them. 
He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil, Luke 6.35. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. To be merciful means to not treat a person according to their sins. How do you fight your bitterness? Meditate on the glory of God's mercy and watch some of that bitterness dethaw. If you meditate on the heinousness of the sins committed against you, your bitterness will solidify and it ain't going anywhere. But if you meditate on God's mercy, you'll begin to think something like, you know what? God is merciful to the ungrateful and the unkind, and I can do the same thing. This person has legitimately wronged me, but I have legitimately wronged God, and yet he's still merciful to me. So meditate on God's mercy. And as you do that, I think Luke 6, 36 will begin to take place. Not to where it's easier, but you're just more open to it. You're more open to forgiveness. You're not meditating on the badness of what has happened to you. And you'll find yourself less tempted towards bitterness and resentment. One other listener wrote in, Matt Burtz from Central City, and just was very kind and saying this show has been very helpful. So Matt, it was great to meet you when I was out in Central City. Thank you for your kind words. And for many of you that have written in and said, hey, Dr. Gifford, this has been so helpful. You guys, you have to know that I don't always get kind words via email. So by writing in and, and saying kind things, it actually is good for my own soul to hear those things. So Matt, brother, thanks for your kind words. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do is actually take a break here and I'm going to come back. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the besetting sin of anger and how that can feel almost second nature at times, especially if we're later in life. So we're going to take a break. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. We're going to take just a moment to step away and let Dr. Gifford regather his thoughts. I want to take just a couple of moments, highlight a resource that you can find available on our website at transform.org. Priorities, Mastering Time Management. It's written by James Petty. And again, it's available at transformed.org. Just a small nugget of wisdom that will absolutely change the way you look at time management. Petty says, understanding that our time is finite can help us direct our attention toward what truly matters. Aligning our time with our priorities is not just about management, but about embracing the values God has instilled in us. Look, take it from me. If you struggle with time management, this book is going to offer you some practical steps. It'll help you begin to align your life with God's priorities. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. You can pick it up right now at transformed.org. And while you're there at transformed.org, as always, you know, producing resources, invaluable resources like Transformed doesn't come cheap. And we don't do it for money, but it does take money to do it, if that makes sense. We need your support. We need your help. And as you prayerfully consider what it might look like in your life to become a gospel partner, I, I, I also want you to consider this truth. When you become a gospel partner, you're not just supporting us, but you're also making a difference in someone else's life. So please consider, prayerfully consider becoming a gospel partner. And as you do that, you can find out any answer to any question you could ever possibly have at transformed.org. Now, let me say to you, before we get back to Dr. Gifford, if you have been struggling with any type of issue yourself that you would like maybe Dr. Gifford to address, just like he is today, answering listener questions, you can reach out to him directly by emailing him at greg at transformed.org. Then you might 
might very well hear him address it on a future episode of Transformed, just like he is today. Speaking of that, speaking of him addressing listener questions, let's get back to it now. This is Transformed. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Okay, welcome back. We've been walking through questions from the listeners, and you guys have been very gracious to send in questions, and I'm attempting to answer these hopefully in a way that's concise, but it gives you something to hang your hat on and to point you back to the riches of God's word. I also want to serve you guys. And I think many shows, and that includes podcasts, radio shows, TV shows, actually use their listeners. And I want you guys to feel served and refreshed by the listening, both in the content and the time that we take on this show to answer your questions. So one listener wrote in and said, I'm, I'm now 51 years old, and although I'm saved, I still have so much anger. It's a real problem. In addition to all the other reasons it's bad, it's also one of the things about me that regularly makes me doubt my salvation. I do have a biblical counselor, and she's great, but I'm hoping you can offer some help, wisdom, or maybe even prayer, as I really don't know how to get rid of this scourge. I, I sense some of the frustration that's there, number one. If any of us have struggled with an ongoing sin, it does feel like a scourge, and I appreciate that term. Uh, First of all, let me show you something here. Uh, Open up your Bibles, and let's go over to Hebrews. When I was doing my biblical counseling training, someone pointed this out to me, and I was like, you know, that, that actually is very helpful to see. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So two things I want to highlight there that, first of all, the author of Hebrews compares our sanctification to a race, and in that race, we are to rid ourselves of anything that is hindering our performance. And he uses the idea of sin that clings closely to you. The King James would say a besetting sin. I do think that there are certain sins that we struggle with, and it seems like we're going to struggle with them in different ways for the rest of our life. And in counseling, I find that if a person struggles with anxiety, well, it's going to manifest itself when they're in college and then they're going to have a young family, and then their kids are moving out. And at each season of life, it's still that same root of anxiety, and yet it's manifesting itself in different ways. So don't be surprised if anger is that sin that clings closely to you, or to use the King James, the besetting sin, that it might express itself in different ways. So as we're thinking through our own personal tendencies to sins, I want to be candid that it just seems like we have a proclivity towards that and and the whole nature nurture discussion comes up. But yet the reality is that God through his spirit brings about change and transformation. 
And I don't mean that tritely and I don't mean that to undergird. I don't mean that to undermine the difficulty of sin that is it's seemingly lodged in our life. Yet we know that even if I'm saved as an adult, God begins to set me apart and to change who I've lived my whole life to be. If you look at different examples in the scripture, it's hard to get past Acts 9 and Paul's lifestyle. His character traits have been formed, and yet Jesus meets him and changes him and begins to call him unto himself. So maybe anger is something that you've struggled with most of your life. How do you begin to address that? Well, you identify, first of all, that I don't have to give in to this. God, through his spirit, has allowed me to be free from the power of sin. So I don't have, I may have an encouragement to it, but I never have to yield to that encouragement. I do yield at times because it's easy and I've walked that path many times, but I never have to walk that path. That's the clarification of Romans 6. I never have to give myself over to a sinful response. So sinful anger is not an absolute. It's not something I have to do. Next, I would encourage you to continue to dig at, and I mentioned these in earlier episodes on anger, continue to dig at the heart of anger, meaning what are you wanting? What are you worshiping? When you get angry, what's going on in your inner person? Because that is the real issue. Typically, it is you're wanting something that you're not getting. I want peace and quiet. I want respect. I want love. I want a paycheck. Whatever it is, identify that and then say, look, that is not going to be my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And ultimately, if I don't get that thing, I'm going to honor Jesus. So identify what's going on at the root. Identify that Jesus is Lord, not whatever else you may be wanting at that time. Next, practically, listen more. Ask more questions. Seek to analyze the circumstance before automatically defaulting to angry patterns. If you're not careful, what can take place is you don't even think about it. It just goes and anger has left the gates, so to speak. So you have to pause and say, well, why am I getting angry? What would God have me to do? What was this person intending to accomplish? Ask more questions to grow in understanding and you'll find yourself being less tempted to anger. After we've worked through some of these, there is a put-off, put-on dynamic of Scripture. When you put off anger, what is it that you should pursue? I would encourage you to study passages on God's patience and how you should be long-suffering. To be patient and long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an aspect of God's Spirit working in you. So instead of just saying, don't be angry, don't be angry, don't be angry, what should you say? Well, I should bear with people, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. I should be long-suffering. I should be patient, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So instead of responding quickly and harshly, I need to have a long wick and be forbearing. And when I'm forbearing, what will take place is I don't give in to my natural inclination. So remember that you never have to give in to your sinful anger you do need to develop practical strategies for when you are tempted to anger. And in the end, do not measure growth by perfection. You see, sometimes 
what we do is we say something like, well, I still struggle with this. And that's why I question my salvation. This, this question has a hint of that as well. I still struggle with anger. So am I really a Christian? I find when that happens, people are actually measuring their sanctification by victory or perfection, meaning I'm completely done with that. The reality is that if you are progressively growing to be like Jesus Christ, that is a success. So in the end, measure your sanctification by growth, not perfection. Am I growing to be like Jesus? Am I less angry? Am I less tempted? Am I responding more and more in patient and God-honoring ways? And if you are, that is a success. Great question. And it's really applicable to more than just anger. It's broader habitual patterns or maybe even lifestyle sins if we use that term. Stephen wrote in and asked, what exactly is idol hunting and why might I protect myself slash how might I protect myself from falling into that trap? That's a good question. And Stephen, I can tell you've been talking with those in the biblical counseling movement because at times we use the term idol hunting as kind of like a euphemism to describe we're, we're on a hunt to find what idol, what idol is causing this. Uh, if you've ever joked around about going snipe hunting, it's this imaginary bird and you're in the woods looking for it, but you never find it. Idol hunting is where we have a, an action, a behavior, a word, and then all of the sudden we begin to think, well, what's motivating me? What am I worshiping right now that's leading me to that? And sometimes what can take place is idol hunting is the equivalent of morbid introspection because I'm just thinking about why I do what I do all the time. And I, I become Aristotle, Greg, and I begin to morbidly reflect on why did I do that thing? Idle hunting can become a problem if it's immobilizing you. We don't want to be thoughtless individuals who are somewhat brutish and we don't pause and say, why do I do the things that I do? But on the other side, we don't want to just be self-reflective all day and try to dissect every action and every word that we take throughout the day. That would be functionally impossible to live. So here is where I think you try to strike the balance, Stephen. If you can understand what you may have been worshiping in that moment, then you could say, great, it seems like I was worshiping control, comfort, respect, fear of man. Yes, that was the idol that I was worshiping at that exact moment. But if I don't know what it was, then I could chalk it up to something like Proverbs 20 verse 5, which says that our hearts are like a deep well and deep wells get murky at times. I don't always know why I do the things that I do, practically speaking. I know generally I'm motivated by worship and I'm motivated by pursuing worship, but I don't always know exactly what I was worshiping in that moment. So Stephen, you can say, great, if I know what it is, that's great. And yet, even if I don't know what it is, even if I don't know what I was worshiping, I can know how to respond. I find that to be what prevents us from getting stuck in morbid introspection. I don't know what I was worshiping in that moment. I'm a crazy person, you know, like I got my own issues, whatever that is, but I can know through God's word how he would want me to respond to this circumstance. I find that to be a panacea to prevent us from getting stuck in morbid introspection because I can say, well, I don't know, but here's what I'm going to do now to move forward. If you can do that, you're not going to get stuck in idle hunting in a way that's unhelpful. So keep that balance. Be open to identify what you are worshiping that's leading to those behaviors. But if you can't figure it out, you can still have clarity on what God would want you to do through his word. 
So seek that clarity. So thank you guys for taking the time to write in. Thank you for the kind words, the thoughtful questions. Feel free to continue to do that. You can write into greg at transformed.org. And the way this works is that as I get those, there is a cycle. So it takes a few weeks for me to be able to record and answer them. So don't see that as neglect. Just see that's part of the recording and production cycle that takes place. But we will get to them and I'll do my best to be of help to you. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening and tuning in. Let me pray for you as the listener before we close. Lord, your word is clear and your word revives the soul. It's a light to us. It is our hope. It provides hope in Jesus Christ through the promises of your word. It's not a truth. It is the truth. And may each of us who are listening to this and me as I'm doing my best to speak and to teach, may we ground ourselves in your word. May may your word be where we go for answers, so much so that we feel like Peter at the end of John 6, when he tells Jesus, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, we believe that you have the best words. Your words are superior. Your words are light in a dark environment. And as the listeners are hearing your word taught, hopefully may it illuminate not only their life, how they should respond, relationships, but most importantly, how they can honor you where you have them planted. So help us to do that, we pray. Help us to honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, transformed.org, is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things transformed. If you've enjoyed Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. And also prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Thank you for listening. And until next time, go serve your king.